Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Really excited to bring on perennial guest Quacking Tiger to the show. Covered a variety of topics, state of the program, first half of the season, outlook for the rest of the season, the pit game, future of this program, and the 2022 and 23 recruiting classes. So a lot of good stuff here. Um, I know it's a long show. Well worth it. Well worth a listen. Hope you all enjoy. Clemson Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Nick. Excited to be joined this evening by none other than Quacking Tiger. Uh, Quacking Tiger comes to us, writer at Shaking the Southland. You'll also find him on Twitter at Quacking Tiger. QT, been a while. So good to have you back on. How you doing? Oh, thanks for having me. Um, yes, I'm doing just great. Absolutely fine. Nothing is wrong at all. Natty hopes very much still in hand. You know, we're here just to kind of break down the the playoff matchup ahead. Um, should be really should be really fun here. Uh, oh wait, <laughs> we have two losses. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I mean, wait, hold on, hold on. Like crazier things have happened, right? Like this team right now is not in any position to be talking about anything related to. Like we're just trying to score a touchdown, but mm. like uh, in the playoff era, it's kind of been an anomaly that. Uh, I don't know if anomaly is the right word, but it's it's been uh, strange to see that no two-loss team, right, has ever really made it. I, I don't think any any two-loss teams made it in, right? Am That's right. That? No, you're right about that. Like, there's been a couple instances where teams that didn't play in the conference championship have made it in, and definitely, right. obviously, non-conference winners, but no two-loss teams. I don't even know if there have been two-loss teams. I guess Georgia feels like they were left out a couple of times with two losses, mm-hmm. but... But in the BCS era, I mean, I was just going to make the point that plenty of two lost teams, you know, made it to the BCS championship. And LSU, for example, got in as a two lost team. And, uh, you know, that's with two teams. So like in the playoff era, we probably should have had a, a two lost team. So it's not, you know, impossible for that to happen. But of course, like I said, you got to score some more touchdowns for it to even be a realistic possibility. Yeah, I mean, essentially we're at the halfway point. We need all kinds of chaos in the ACC Atlantic, the ACC at large, rest of college football. But I mean, that would be, it'd be a crazy, crazy second half. I think what, what probably is more likely to happen is, you know, that, that doesn't break that way, but I think would still be good for us to sort of take stock of where we're at with this team thus far this season and really do look ahead to the, the second half and figure out like what, you know, what, what are some expectations, what sort of things could be improved upon or salvaged and become building blocks for, you know, a, a hopeful return to prominence next season. Um, that's, you know, you definitely bring a unique perspective to the current season team and obviously the future. 
with recruiting and just with your point of view on roster management. So um, that's why we love to bring you on. And that's what I was hoping we could cover today, but um, sure would be fun to watch NC state kind of stumble here down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, you know, NC state is not like some unbeatable team or, you know, even a top 15 team in the nation. I'm sorry. NC state fans like, um, you know, uh, they lost their top two players on defense before they played us. Uh, and, you know, the quarterback and the offensive system is not like super elite themselves. So I, I think there's plenty of chances for them to stumble and lose two games. They have to play North Carolina. They have to play a few other opponents that will give them some trouble, I think. Uh, they were pretty impressive against BC uh, this past week, but there's definitely chances for them to stumble. And it's, you know, it's Dave, Dave D. He's, he's going to go nine and three, right? Or something like that, right? Or it's in his contract more. that he has yeah. to. um so yeah i think there's plenty of chances for for clemson to be able to to win uh the the you know their division um the real question for clemson is whether they can win against pitt i mean and after pitt they don't really have any really tough games on the schedule in terms of strength of schedule i mean uconn is like one of the worst teams in the country south carolina is also one of the worst teams in the country um and Florida State has, you know, just been up and down, up and down. So mm-hmm. I think Wake is Wake's it. Wake's undefeated, but they're uh, they're not a complete football team. Let's say that. Um, yeah, and and Wake also we get them at the end of the season, and uh, they always struggle with um, not having the the kind of depth that other teams have. So as soon as they have any injuries, that really hurts um, their ability to compete at a higher level. So. Uh, I think that, you know, unfortunately that for wake, right. That, that inevitably will happen when time comes for Clemson to play them. And we also play wake at home. Right. And I think I'm correct. Pretty sure we do. Yes. Cause I think we started last year at wake, if I'm not mistaken. The big big hurdle is the pit game this, this next week. Um, And it's unfortunate we don't get Tyler Davis back. We don't have, you know, the, the possibility of Will Shipley coming back, even though I, like, I, still can't fathom how he's coming back so quickly, but um, you know, the, the, it would be nicer if we had Pitt later on in the schedule, this is going to be the make or break moment for the team. I think uh, if you lose to Pitt, then things start to unravel further. Um, if you beat Pitt, I think you can uh, salvage the rest of the season pretty, pretty well. Yeah. And it's funny that funny to think of it this way, but I care about what bowl game we go to and I care about what profile matchup we have and kind of what, what profile of bowl there is. Um, we joke about sneaking into the playoff, but um, yeah, I mean, it would be excellent to be able to play for an ACC title as well. Um, and then do you get one of the new year's six bowls? I think that'd be great. That'd be a great experience for this team. I think you're right though. We're trying to, trying to put it together and have a complete game, you know, for the first time this season. So all that stuff seems like a far cry away, but um, yeah, like even if, even if we're outside of that New Year's six, you know, there, it, there's just a big gradient of the different quality and caliber of bowl games and the opponent you're going to face. And, you know, it would be nice to face off against, you know, a, a top tier SEC school, or um, I don't really know what the, the ACC's kind of cross conference affiliations are like what those bowls are anymore. Cause Clemson hasn't played in them, frankly, for a long time. It's so not great yeah <laughs> like facing OU in the I guess the camping world bowl it is now it used to be the Russell Athletic Bowl like that's that's kind of like a medium you know call it upper middle class ACC destination these days in Orlando 
Um, gosh, you know, I, I would hope we could punch a little bit above that, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think what Clemson needs to maintain is this perception of being a national blue blood program, right? Um, and whether we are or not, you know, the, the debate about the blue blood doesn't really matter. It's whether or not we can keep that momentum, um, lock down the recruiting class, not have any uh, defections in the current recruiting class, and be able to maintain the kind of prestige that, that we've been able to build into, you know, this, this high brand, right, um, kind of uh, culture first program. Because uh, if Dabo loses that, then, you know, he loses one of his main pieces of, of recruiting selling point um, to, to the future of 2023 and 2024 recruits that are paying attention right now, right? I mean, um, what have you done for me lately is, is a major part of, of recruiting. And everyone has always hit Clemson about being, you know, just the Deshaun Watson, just the Trevor Lawrence, just the, you know, Trevor Lawrence and ETN program. And that once we lose those guys, those talents that we're, you know, going to be back to mediocrity. That's always what everyone has always has said about us on the recruiting trail. And we can't give them that kind of like momentum. Um, so I, I think it is important that we finish the season strong. And, it, and it's not so much like the, the actual wins and losses. It's the perception of Clemson, right? Like we need to blow a team out, right? We need to uh, show we need, that we're yeah. a strong offensive program again. Yeah, essentially, I think what would go a long way toward that, and let's pivot this just to talking about like what areas of the team we think have a chance of improving. I think you need to see a game where DJ looks dominant. And then it's like, okay, he may not be to the caliber of TL or even Deshaun, but at least that continued, you know, reloading at the quarterback position and getting a stud quarterback and being able to deploy them in the right way. That's the kind of almost, you could call it like a proof of concept or, you know, the, the proof point that, yep, you know, Clemson does continue to pull in the talent. I'm a, I'm a stud wide receiver. I want to go play with the future, you know, Cade Klubnik or, uh, you know, DJ at his last year or so of eligibility. Like, you know, that's, that's what, we, that's what I think we need to demonstrate, um, you know, as much as kind of letting loose Phil Maffa and Kobe Pace or even Shipley, if he comes back. Yeah, I'd agree. I definitely agree. Um, making DJ look like the NIL quarterback that he's supposed to be is a big part of the future of Clemson, but also just the perception, right. For recruits. Yeah. I mean, maybe QT, we can keep it with DJ. I know you've followed his career for a really long time, even when he was at Bosco and um, you know, it seems like he was hyped up even potentially before those days. Um, This has to be surprising to you. I know you've written about it a little bit. Um, You know, how much, I guess, would you say of the struggles of the offense thus far have, do you think has been, uh, you know, not attributable to DJ and his development as much? Because all these things are part of the same question, right? Like th- these things don't happen in a silo. But um, in terms of, you know, where DJ needs to get to from things like mechanics and, um, you know, his timing in the pocket or his awareness how many of those things that you might consider to be development areas for him are things that you think he can figure out sort of in season this year, um, you know, with the remaining games? Well, I mean, I think the first point is that um, this is not a soul, like, and I've been preaching this, this is not a solely DJ focused problem. It's, it's connected to all of these other position groups, 
right on offense. It's, it's not just DJ. Um, he's not just going out there and throwing, you know, ducks all over the field. Like it, 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 you cannot say that this is all on DJ. Now, are there places where he could improve? Yes, absolutely. Um, he could improve with his uh, pocket presence, especially like uh, breaking the pocket, right? Knowing when to run. Um, when uh, there have been plenty of opportunities for him to go and get some yards, get a first down with his legs, uh, where he hasn't, he's just stayed in the pocket and, and it's broken down. Um, there are plenty of times where he needs to get off of his first read uh, and stop locking in on particular wide receivers, uh, especially like Justin Ross, for example. He's keying in on him way too much. Um, and, you know, uh, there are accuracy issues like in the Syracuse game. I like, I think Dabo was right that he uh, and DJ was right that he played probably, you know, one of his better games of the season, but the ball is still coming out really low, coming out funky on a lot of those throws. So he, you know, he can improve absolutely in his crispness and the way that, you know, he's executing uh, the offense, but it's not like more and more, it's not all on him. It's not really about him. And it wasn't really about him in some of the earlier games too. Uh, It's largely about the connection between him and and the wide receivers and tight ends. Uh, I think the offensive line is a big part of it. We have a problem with dropping balls uh, on this offense. We haven't talked enough about it. I think, and nationally, it hasn't been talked about enough. He, did, he isn't getting enough help. Um, he isn't getting enough help with the scheme. Um, and, and you know, making things a little bit easier for him schematically, making things easier for the entire team schematically. Uh, so, yeah, I, like, I think that there are things that DJ can improve, but it is not all on him at all. And, and I think he's played fine. Um, you know, he's above slightly... I mean, you know, average above average, but like people who are calling for him to be benched, like that's just, uh, yeah, that that's not that's not the solution, and and DJ's not the problem. Like that's I think how I would frame it. Um, DJ's not the problem. Can he be better? Can he help out? Yes, Um, and he would be the first to kind of say that. But you know, you are 127th in the country in explosive plays. Uh, last week we were 124th, so we've slipped three spots to become even less. Exploded. Only two more to go. Like, and you have yeah. a quarterback that has the biggest arm in college football. Like DJ has the biggest arm, right? Whether you know accuracy issues, whatever. But it, we haven't thrown the ball downfield. Like we haven't you know used that arm at all, right? So yeah. <laughs> you cannot be 127th in the country at Clemson and feel good about your offense and your offensive structure, your offensive scheme, your offensive coaching, any of it, right? Like, uh, and this is why I've kind of like held back on, <laughs> on writing because I would just, uh, you know, I would have exploded on the page and been- And or, well, it's kind of, <laughs> and we struggle with this too. Like it's kind of repetitive a little bit. Like you're yep. kind of witnessing and experiencing some of the same things um, week in, week out. So- and I have been accused of beating a dead horse many a time uh, <laughs> for the past, I don't know, like five years about roster management and, and recruiting and uh, and about the need to use the transfer portal. And people are sick about hearing it. And then, you know, it becomes the reality of the season and uh, people still don't want to hear it. So, I, you know, and I get that. Like, we don't want to be negative about the team and, and uh, you know, the team's uh, still a very good team. Uh, 
and it can be even better. Like it can be an elite team still, I think. Uh, but the reality is, is that it was not for the first half of the season. Um, and, and that's done, right? Like we now have in the records that this team was horrible on offense, just atrocious, right? Like all metrics um, and, and especially advanced metrics, the offense was hot stinking garbage for the first half of the season. Um, it, it can improve though, and it can get better, but you know, that those are the facts, right? I mean, you know, you can't, can't sugarcoat that at all. Right. That is the state of the state at this point. Um, and I, I do want to get into unpacking like some of the factors that you, you laid out in terms of where, why we're at, where we are with the offense. Um, maybe sticking just with DJ one last, one last thought here. I, I agree with you in that, you know, if he is able to get a little bit better pass protection, you know, just, just that much, that much better. If, you know, six of those drops, if it's only two drops, you know, what, what does this offense look like? How many of those drives do you convert into touchdowns for DJ? And, you know, then what does that look like in terms of play calls that the coaches are confident making? Um, I, I want to ask you, like, <laughs> I really, I can't handle when people are like, we're one to two plays away. Like that is some Tommy Bowden talk. That's the kind of thing that actually, you know, caused Tommy to fall out of favor ultimately. Um, but, you know, to what extent do you think that actually is true? Like there, there are maybe a couple, couple of plays a game, like Justin Ross dropped and he rolled his ankle on the play, but he dropped, you know, what could have been potentially, it definitely would have been an explosive play, but might've been a touchdown that could have broken in the game open in the, I think it was the first, it was actually the second quarter um, mm-hmm. against Syracuse. Like is the couple play away thing like, legit or what do you think i mean uh yeah he he should have caught that ball like uh, i know he rolled his ankle and everything but yeah totally a ball that was still catch like that hit him on the numbers and it's right in the hands and he drops it another one is you know a joe joe in the first i think it was the first drive completely misses a block on a screen it would have gone for at least 10 yards probably 20 it would have been an explosive play i think maybe even more it could have been a touchdown um but he doesn't even touch his man like doesn't even know his assignment at all right and i mean that's just a a raw wide receiver who at this point in his career like i'm sorry like either he didn't know the play or he was being super lazy and i think it was just that he didn't know the play but regardless you gotta get a hand at least on the on that player so you know like you can point to those plays and be like look we would have been you know able to score at will, right? Or score more points on Syracuse wouldn't even been a close game. Uh, you could look at the interception, right? In the Georgia game um, as a key play that gives them the pick six that ultimately helps them win that game. Um, if Justin Ross has a better angle on that, you know, route, maybe mm-hmm. fights a little bit harder, plays DB, knocks that ball down. I, I still don't think that one was on DJ at all. I think that was all on Ross really. Um, yeah. We can talk more about Ross a little bit later, but um, yeah. So, so there, there is a like a rationale for kind of saying that, and you can say, look, we're we're an over double overtime, you know, play away from beating NC State. We're uh, you know the one pick six play away from a three three tie with the number one team in the country. I think Brent Venables was correct in kind of pointing that out. Um, I, I think you can also take a pessimistic look at this and be like, we have almost lost every single game this season as well, other than South Carolina state and, you know, kind of like last minute possibilities for uh, last play possibilities for, for blowing these games. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you think about like uh, 
like the thing that frustrates me is that this is such a great defense and it feels like we're just squandering this opportunity to have, you know, an elite, elite defense, right? Top, probably top five, I think, when all things are said and done. And that's with the injuries. Like it's still maintained being, you know, elite with injuries to Skalski, injuries to Davis, injuries to Booth, you know, like we've had major pieces of this defense that have been injured and it's still been able to, uh, to perform at an elite, elite level. You take last year's defense and you combine it with this year's offense, we could be uh, sitting here with only one win. You know, like that, that would, that would be a very realistic possibility. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, you, you always have to think right with a few plays away one way, but we're a few plays away the other way from um, having a losing record. Right. So. Um, and some of those yeah. were opponent forced error, like self-forced errors. Right. Yeah. You know, like it's the, state, this is the field goal that they should have made. Right. To force the double overtime. Um, it wouldn't even have been a, a, a situation there. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, so two, you know, two of the factors you, you, you mentioned, um, it does seem like there's been a step back in wide receiver production, uh, have not gotten like the Cornell Powell ask breakout, unfortunately from anyone on the roster this season. I think I mentioned it in our last show. Um, we miss Brandon Spector more than I think any of us thought we would have as a, as a true slot receiver who's experienced in that position, running those routes. Um, you know, poor man's Hunter Renfro able to convert on third down. I think we just saw him as, you know, maybe not the flashiest guy. And we're like, okay, he's hurt, you know, no big deal. Let's get Justin Ross going there. Um, I just, you know, again, it does seem like the wide receiver position has been challenged this year. Um, what are your thoughts as to maybe why we're in that, in that situation? And again, you know, we've, we've got some injuries there. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel for the rest of this year? You can include the tight ends in that too, I guess. Yeah. I mean, um, tight end play has not been good. Um, Galloway just his whole career, he's dropped balls like, uh, way more balls than any tight end should ever have dropped. Uh, especially when they're coming from Trevor Lawrence and they're hitting you in the hands and high leverage situations. Like I, that, that was a big coaching, uh, failure. And you look at the drops with wide receivers and tight ends. This was a, a David Hale, uh tweet where he tracked this and in 2020 there were 16 drops through six games and in 2021 there's 13 drops um and you know 2019 was 15 but before that you have half of that right so we do have a problem with wide receivers and tight ends particularly tight ends dropping balls on this team and um that's got to improve um I don't think it was a wise decision to put Justin Ross in the slot. Like I just don't see that as a uh, decision that has helped him or has helped this team. And, and I understand the rationale and thinking through it. Oh, you've got Justin Ross. He's got great hands, right? He makes spectacular catches. Um, if you go and turn on the film from, from his sophomore year, right? it doesn't have the kind of speed that you necessarily always want in, in the slot. If you go back to his sophomore year film, right, you turn on the tape and you've got, you know, Trevor Lawrence that's throwing him the ball. There are so many unforced errors, right? So many times where he just, you know, loses concentration and they're easy balls and he drops them. And you're just like, why is he dropping this ball? And, and I, and I, you know, I don't want to like bash on Ross. Like he makes these incredible catches, 
uh, I think it was the NC State game uh, with Trevor Lawrence, where he goes to the back of the end zone and he makes this incredible catch the same way that he did against Syracuse, right? Where he's at the goal line and he rises up and he makes this, you know, insane NFL wide receiver, uh, round one talent kind of catch. Um, and, and that's his strength. His strength is not sitting in the slot, going four yards and catching a tough ball over the middle um, or, or, you know, kind of sitting in zone and, and making sure that he comes down with the ball to get the first down. Like, I don't think that's his, his strength. And, uh, and I think the coaches made a, a poor decision in putting him in the slot and should have had him on the outside um, in the nine position, or I guess in the modified two position, I don't know what's happened with our two position. We never use it in any kind of motion. And I've, you know, this is another dead horse. I've been beating like no use of motion in our offense, no use of, uh, you know, jet sweeps and vertical motion to freeze uh, tight ends to make e reads easier over the middle um, for our quarterbacks. Like we just don't have any of that. And, um, and it's always frustrating me. We don't have any crossers. We don't have any, we, we don't run barely any drag routes anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so I don't, I, I think that um, all these little plays that we've, you know, implemented for Ross, right. Where that I love, right. It's like all of a sudden we got a little wrinkle variation play that we run one time a game and it's like a handoff underneath misdirection kind of handoff to, to Ross or a little pitch. Ross isn't the right player for that. It's not his skill set. He is shifty and he like, he's done really well on like screens and things like that. Uh, getting more yards in his career, like as a freshman, especially he was really great on some tunnel screens and things, but like straight speed where you want him to like beat everybody to the edge, go in the opposite direction. Like, I don't think that's his game. So I, I've been really frustrated with how um, I think Ross has been utilizing this offense. Um, I think he's frustrated about it as well. Um, and, you know, we're mid season. I don't, you know, I'm not sure that you can just go and like stick him at the, the nine position. Um, and then what do you, what do you do with Ladson and what do you do with Ngata? Um, and those are two other players that are like great talents, but totally inconsistent. They're consistently inconsistent. Ngata has shown us a little bit um, now this season. And I think it would be wise to kind of uh, use him as more of a primary target for for dj so he's not locking on to uh ross all the time but uh ladson you know again right uh the coaches wisely kind of called them out for uh both of those players out for for not kind of uh being tougher and i think it's both mentally and physically uh tougher to just to stay on the field and to to kind of grit grind out these these uh the way that past wide receiver you wide receivers have done it. And, and we don't have any depth beyond that, right? EJ Williams has been banged up with his thumb and now with his knee got scoped. And what else you got? Uh, the moment that you put Will Brown on the field, I'm sorry. Like I'm, it's a great story and, and walk on whatever. The moment you put him on the field, that was a recruiting error. That was a roster management error that he would be in the two deep at this point. And I cringe every time he, was catching a punt in the Syracuse games. Like, Oh no. Like this, this is what Clemson was able to put on the field. Right. Is, is like, you could take any wide receiver in the nation pretty much in the past two years coming off of national championships, you could pick any of them. And yeah. somehow, you know, we now have Will Brown out on the field in critical uh, downs um, where we need to, to win the game. And it's like, that's not fair to DJ as well. It's like, come on. 
uh, we at Clemson coming off of national championships could do better uh, than, than that, that talent. Now, again, like I'm not trying to bash on Will Brown, like that's good for him. Right. Like he was able to get on the team and he was able to work and, and get there, but we're 10 scholarship power five scholarships down now with the, the latest transfer. Um, and, and that affects the depth on your roster. And this is a, that's a prime position where you have to have depth and a team like Alabama went and grabbed Ohio States player who was like disgruntled because he wasn't starting on the field. And that player at Alabama has helped them to win games, right? Almost single-handedly win games. <laughs> so I, you know, I'll stop there. That's a major rant that I didn't want. I, I don't want to rant, but uh, yeah, it's frustrating. Definitely. I think the, the depth and I, I want to ask you, you know, is, is relief on the way? I think we, we have seen a couple of freshmen get playing time, you know, get targets to Kari Collins, Bo Collins, uh, but I got to ask you, QT, like, are either of those guys the profile of speed that, you know, that can make a difference here on this team? It, it kind of strikes me that in recent seasons, there's been a little bit more of a, of a bias toward big bodied receivers. Um, and look, we've loved those on the Clemson offense before, but I think it's always been balanced by having a guy like Amari Rogers, Artavis Scott before him, um, you know, even Ray Ray McLeod, like those kind of dudes to counterbalance the Mike Williams, the Deion Canes. Um, and now in this era, you know, or, you know, Justin Ross, the continuation of that and T Higgins. Um, yeah. Like are either of those guys, you know, likely to be able to step in and do you think they're going to see more playing time than I know Ladson's been hurt and I agree with you that in they should continue to feature him as a primary option. Um, do we see any relief from the Collinses or, um, you know, what's, what's kind of coming in the 2022 class that, um, leads you to believe that this is going to, this is going to change. Well, I mean, it's a lot to put on true freshmen to come in and, uh, you know, be called upon to be, you know, starting caliber or taking too deep, but kind of starting level snaps. Um, and I, you know, I don't think that Bo or Dakari, are uh, bad players. I think that they in time will be really great players, but you know, Bo needs to add a little bit more weight uh, or not weight, but like strength um, to his frame. Um, and Dakari, I, I think can get there uh, pretty quickly, um, but neither are going to be difference makers this season. I don't think. Um, and you know, Stellato is somebody who I would, I hope that they try to push to get on the field. Cause I think he's a profile of a, a player who's a little bit shiftier and can, can get open, um, underneath like they have guys on the, and this is what's frustrating, right? They have guys on the wing that, uh, on the outside that should be able to get downfield and get open. Um, it, they just haven't been able to open that part of the game up. And I, you know, with your big arm quarterback and everything else not working, I, I don't understand why that isn't the case. I mean, we, I, I think next season as uh, recruiting class, it will, you know, we're recruiting a little bit more uh, speed. Um, and so, yeah, like uh, it'll slowly improve, but we need to improve now, right? Like we need this yeah. season things to improve. Um and I, yeah, I, uh, I, I think, I, I think what I'm hearing though, is there's plenty of talent among the guys that are not injured, done for the year, that sort of thing. Like if they can air the ball out downfield and kind of play to their strengths, they may not be the fastest wide receiving group in the ACC or in the country, 
but you got to kind of play within the skill set that you have. And I think this is where it goes back to getting DJ enough, either enough time or, you know, maybe moving him and he's not the most mobile quarterback, but are you able to move the pocket with DJ at all and roll him out and kind of, so he can find different angles to hit these guys. Uh, they're going to have to catch the ball though. And there's obviously that, you know, the fundamentals that some of these guys, you know, haven't necessarily displayed so far. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, again, you, I think you just have to like play the hand you're dealt with, with the talent you have. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we have An- Adam Randall that's committed. Um, we're trying to land Andre green who is a, you know, he's like a highlight real kind of catch uh, one arm going up and get the ball high pointing it kind of player. I would like us to see, I would like to see us target someone with um, more speed to be a true slot receiver. Uh, and, you know, I, I would like to, to see us go after Antonio Williams. We now have more roster space. Like we can get two more wide receivers. We should get two more wide receivers in this class. We should get another offensive lineman. We should get two more defensive linemen. Like there's plenty of room. <laughs> there's always room plan for attrition. I think that's going to go on my tombstone plan for attrition. Um, but yeah, to like, to your point, like to me, it's not so much like there is enough talent on the Clemson roster right now. It, it is part of it. A uh, part of it is a schematic, um, deficiency and and no one wants to admit that or talk about it and it's like yeah we just we, we blew out alabama and everything but you know one of my first posts uh about after the the georgia game was kind of tracking and, and talking about how uh defenses have kind of caught up with what we were doing and how we kind of shifted but the offense in its current state to me looks a bit archaic Right. And I'm not the only one. I mean, that that's pulling from uh, uh, Robert uh, Griffin, Griffin, mm. right? Griffin, uh, yeah. Yep. Griffin, <laughs> who is the uh, the commentator uh, who said that. And it's like, yeah, it, like that is part of the problem. Right. In the past, we have just kind of out talented defenses, but we haven't out schemed them and they know what's coming. We 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 uh, they they the the ACC defensive coordinators know every single Clemson play um, that's coming, even the misdirection ones, right? Uh, because, you know, we haven't innovated in, in a long time. Like the last time I think we majorly innovated was with, you know, the Deshaun Watson pitch play, right? Um, so, you know, I, I get it that, that Tony Elliott is just trying to like pare everything down and just like find some things that, that work. Um, and I don't think that he, he's called, he called a horrible game against, uh, Syracuse actually. Like, I think it was like a fine game, um, with the scheme, but like ACC defensive coordinators have figured Clemson out and they have for a while. Right. Um, and we have just kind of out talented them, you know, thrown balls, 50, 50 balls, or just used our talent to, uh, to, to beat other teams. Um, but now our, you know, our talent isn't really up to the same level. And so, you know, we have to think about how to scheme around beating other teams. And that's where I wish our offense would be a little bit more innovative. There's so many great offenses right now out there that are doing interesting things uh, like the Rams offense. Um, like, I mean, everybody says the chiefs, but I think the Rams offense really would connect with some of the things we're trying to do with our run principles and scheming players open. And we we don't run enough rub routes. We don't run enough. Like when we tried to run a rub route with uh, EJ Williams in the the last game, you know, he's like 
horrible route where he just gets called for, you know, pass uh, offensive, you know, pick play uh, because it was horribly done. Right. It's like, so we, we have to execute better. We have to, you know, get our talent, maximize the amount of talent uh, that we, that we have, but the scheme has got to improve as well. And that will help our wide receivers um, to get open because they are not getting open right now. That's not DJ's fault. Yeah, that was I, a lot. Sorry. No, no, no. hundred percent. And it's part, part of what we talk about a little bit too. And this is maybe more with the offensive line is, you know, if, if, if it hasn't quite clicked yet with what we're running, is there a way to simplify scheme a bit? And I know what we're asking for on with maybe the past plays is uh, throw in some wrinkles, be a bit innovative. I'm actually thinking and wondering on the offensive line, and maybe this is maybe perhaps more in the run game. Is it more of a simplification, less pulling plays, less kind of misdirection, you know, simple, a simplified version of inside zone. If, if that, if such a thing exists, you know, is that the type of schematic change that is needed here for an O-line that just, and it has been a revolving door based on injuries, but it obviously has not completely clicked. We don't have like the five guys yet slotted into their positions and figuring it all out. Um, I don't know. I just, I question, is it too complex in terms of the, their roles? Yeah, it's pretty simple, right? Like I, I, like the offensive line stuff that we're doing is not, not that complex. Um, and uh, yeah, that, I, I don't think that that, that that's the problem. Um, I, I think, you know, our offensive line just hasn't been very good for a long time. And uh, ETN and Trevor Lawrence kind of masked a lot of those deficiencies i mean like etn's getting crazy amounts of yak yards right this team uh with this offense like we don't have many uh players who are generating yak yard like will shipley was doing that i think but other yeah, than maffa maffa looks pretty good in the syracuse game like that's that's a a revelation yeah. to see what he's been able to do and 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 the frustrating thing is we actually haven't run the ball that bad uh as a team um you know the the i think we're averaging like over five yards of carry uh, between Mafa and uh, and Pace. So it's like, that hasn't been like a huge problem. It's just that we can't string together drives and execute and actually score touchdowns. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it, it's just a comedy of errors because everybody seems to, um, and, and this is where I do have some sympathy for the coaches because it does seem like every single play someone and it's a different person each time is doing something wrong and blowing up our opportunity to uh you know really be able to take over a game offensively whether it's a snap over the head uh you know and i think like like trotter for example i thought played a pretty good game um and going forward he probably is going to be the center um and at, at least a piece of it and you know and he's not like he's still like 280 probably or 285 or something like that um he's still too small but he knows his assignments and he usually does a pretty good job um he doesn't get blown up the way that um everybody else is but anyway the, but the he's point a is center though like i think bockhorst yeah. though bockhorst maybe oh, has God. the stature he's not a center like hadn't played that position at all pre-george game so it um like i mean i you know i don't want to say anything about bockhorst because he'll yell at me um but boy he's had a a rough, rough season. Uh, mm -hmm. He did not play well at center. Like I, he didn't play well though against really good competition last year at guard either. And, you know, and he's inconsistent 
uh, with guard. And he's not like, he's not necessarily the solution. Like, I, I, I feel like you at this point um, want to invest more in, in Tate in a lot of ways. Um, he has the most upside, although he's just swimming mentally and is not prepared. So, you know, all of the, all of our offensive line options, right. For who you can plug and play there, there are problems. Um, yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, well, you can blame it on the players, but that, that, this is really a coaching problem too. Um, and the buck stops with, with the coaches trying to get everything together. But I do applaud the coaches for trying out different things this season. And they've had some injury, you know, kind of bad luck with the offense. I think Pennington would have been uh, starting by now. Um, yeah. You it know, would have been great to see what he could do. And if, if he's stuck, then that gives you more flexibility. You know, I don't know if he would have been in the right guard position and you, then you've got Putnam to be able to move around. Putnam, you know, he's, uh, it, it's tough because he played better, I think, last year at times than he has this year. Um, like giving up that one, you know, Olay straight to the quarterback uh, with DJ. See, I, with Trevor Lawrence and with ETN, I think a good way of putting it, there was a, a, a larger margin for error with other players around them, right? So the offensive line could give up, you know, a crappy pass protection, whatever. Trevor would dodge it a little bit, get the ball out. Like it wasn't, it, it wasn't debilitating. With this offense, the moment someone, you know, strikes out and, and, and sucks at their position or whatever, then it, it cripples everything else. And, and that, so I, I, you know, DJ and the, the supporting cast of wide receiver and tight end and, and uh, running back just don't have that margin for error like we've seen. But again, like we are at the bottom of the bottom in offensive metrics. Like this has been an awful offense. Yeah. So, you know, like I, I, I see where the coaches are like so frustrated because they feel like they're, you know, a few plays away, but it, there has been so many blown plays all across the field by so many players. That's like, golly, at the end of the day, yeah, it's just a coaching problem right now. And I, I think and player problem. on this show, <laughs> in your articles on Twitter, across SCS, like it, it's just been an attribution question all season. Like, what do you attribute this lack of performance? Yeah. Like, where do you, where do you ultimately hold accountability for that? And Dabo has like today in his, in his radio show or press conference, he did talk about like it ultimately like lands on Dabo and a lot of his comments, he's been going after fans a bit, going after the media for covering the portal exits and like, Hey, that's their job. Of course they're going to do that. Um, especially with all the critique of how Dabo's handled the portal, like that's chum in the water. Um, I think he, but you gotta, you gotta understand he's doing that. Like the last thing he's going to do now is kind of, go after his players like externally in the media. So um, all of the Dabo stuff is to some extent a show like in the media. Um, I think my point in bringing that up is kind of like, yes, you, you do ultimately want to hold the coaches accountable. Um, but I think a big attribution point, and this is why people bring up the portal a lot is roster management, roster construction. And um, we can talk about the execution of Bockhorst and like, you know, Trotter's injury hurting the team and putting them taking, you know, maybe a step backward or not progressing. But I think some of the question is like, shouldn't we have like four or five other options here in addition to the injured, injured guys, you know, that you could slot in. And that's really where, um, but planning for attrition or not, not taking three to four linemen, you only take two in a class, um, not, not activating the portal, those sort of things. 
you know, really does come home to roost. And these are all things, mind you, that were issues during like the early playoff run. And we just happened to have guys that didn't get hurt or stuck at their position and kind of excelled. And it was kind of a bend, but don't break position for four to five years here. Ultimately now it's not anymore. And it, it's almost taken even a little bit of a step back in terms of product on the field. So um, I I'm kind of doing that to pull the string on the roster management piece, but also maybe to turn it into a, not a positive, but like, where do we go from here? Um, yes, we're happy with some of the takes in most recent classes and the talent on offensive line, but one to two years from now, QT, what do you think looks different from this, the entire approach to the O-line for the Clemson Tigers, like if things um, are going to improve? Yeah. So I think you make a good point too, about like, of course, Dabo is going to defend his players. He's going to defend his coaches. He should, right? I mean, that's his role as the, the head coach. And I think that they've kind of been oscillating a little bit between, you know, being a bit defensive and also just kind of being, you know, acknowledging the, the reality of it. I Like the, the disappointing thing to me is when Dabo gets defensive about the portal, right? And it's like, I, you know, I think that Clemson would be absolutely fine with recruiting and with, you know, uh, the way that Dabo's uh, approached building the culture right and that we protect players and everything if he just tweaked this just a tiny bit right and he said to recruits rather than saying like we do not ever take anyone from the portal if he said we take from the portal less than anybody else right like that just tiny little shift there i don't think that five-star recruits and four-star recruits that would really you know make a big difference in how they they perceive um, Clemson and the, the culture in Clemson and, and that Dabo could make it hundred percent clear. Oh, we only take someone from the portal. If, you know, we have somebody that transfers out, right. Or something like that. Right. And yeah. I, I don't think that he should do the, like the Michigan state approach where they just like, you know, recruited uh, a whole class of players from the portal. Like I'm saying that we should do what Alabama does largely, which is like three to four players uh, a season and just in spots where you need it. Right. Um, you should be all about recruiting and developing your talent and growing them up and, and helping them to feel um, like they're, you know, valued and everybody plays and all that kind of stuff, um, which, which actually, you know, uh, works a lot better when you're winning more games and when you're blowing people out. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's, that's a quick <laughs> aside. Like, yeah, you're not seeing the Collins guys. I want to call them the Collins brothers. They're not, they're not actually related, but you know, those dudes, aren't getting enough playing time because we don't have leads and you're not seeing 85 to 90 guys play in these games strictly because it's a one score game where we're fighting for our yeah. life and trying to win the games. So, and you're not seeing Mikey Dukes get more snaps, right. Or you're not yes. seeing Charleston. Uh, well, Charleston was, he started almost all last year, but um, so yeah, I, you know, I think that that's, that's true. You're not, you're not able to, to build that culture through playing everyone when you're holding on for dear life in every single game um, that you're playing. So I, yeah, I mean, my point is like, don't like stubbornly cut yourself off from the possibility of the portal just because. And so Clemson fans understand like Clemson is the only program in the nation, like the only one that does not accept any, players from the transfer portal like every other team does this and so the, you know the ability for Clemson just to say like oh we do it less than everybody else like I don't think that that's that big a shift and that big a deal and it wouldn't have any ripples on Clemson recruiting I, I 
I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I don't think that you're risking Clemson recruiting by, by grabbing a few seniors from the portal and um, filling some holes on your team and graduate or, or like blowing up your, your culture uh, as well. So, you know, uh, that's what is frustrating to me. Um, and I think like on the O-line, it's like, all right, you know, you could foresee that there's a problem at center. Was there anybody that you, or, you know, a guard? Is there anybody that you could have brought in? And, and I'm not like, I don't think that we should bring in any player that is going to sit on the bench, like only bring in players that are going to start. Right. Um, yeah. And, and Alabama is the good model for that. And it's like, if you're winning because you, those portal players help you to win, then that is what helps build the culture as well. Right. Well, um, for me talking about like what some comments Brandon Streeter had and, I don't know that they've actually put a mic in front of Danny Pearman to speak about the portal, but Clemson always comments like we looked at the guys that were already in there and we didn't see a good fit for our program. So we opted not to go there. And I think if, if Clemson were known to be fishing around in the portal for a center or a guard, you might see guys that had not yet thought to put their name in, you know, do so like there's, there's a way to almost like recruit via opening yourself up to the portal in a sense that you could get different types of guys. And um, I imagine there's tampering and kind of back channeling going on with guys that are not yet in the portal that, um, you know, have high school buddies on the team, that kind of thing, or, or whatever, you know, the underbelly of college football is what it is. Um, I just think, yeah, Clemson getting over the hump on doing it is going to open up a lot more talent than I think, than I think any of us believe would be in the portal just yet. And just a quick question. Has any team in the nation been held to account for uh, quote unquote tampering? tampering? Not no. to my knowledge. No. Has it even ever been like an issue that's been brought up by the NCAA or anyone, any conference, any team? Uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to, uh, to find that. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, if everybody's doing it, is it really a rule? And um, there are ways to do it where it's not even a problem. Uh, plenty of teams uh, are able to figure that one out. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, this is going to be lame, but, you know, the whole Lion King, like, look harder uh, thing is kind of what I want to say to Streeter. Like, yeah, no, there, there were plenty of players, plenty of good players out there that could have been a part of the, of the program. But it's like, Dabo wasn't playing that. Like, he wasn't doing it. And, and I understand it. Like Dabo wanted to build this into this new like recruiting pitch that would differentiate Clemson from other programs by saying, Hey, look, we don't even take anyone from the portal. Yeah. We're you won't lose your job to a Johnny come lately. Yeah. Three yeah. Years yeah. And, and yeah. we're going to take care of you and we're going to cultivate you. But when you start losing guys to the portal left and right um, and you're 10 players under the, the scholarship, uh, you know, number of 85, like there's 75, I think, um, power five, uh, scholarships right now. Like that is double secret probation. I'm sorry. Like you cannot, that is not a sustainable model. And so either you can do two of things, right. You can either start bringing in a few players in the transfer portal, right. Or you can bring in bigger recruiting classes and you can plan for that attrition. Other than that, this is going to just continue on in the same way where we're constantly underwater in terms of numbers and that hurts depth across the entire team. So it's like, oh, we don't have enough 
you know, this person got injured here, da, 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 da. that's all because you didn't bring in enough bodies to be able to, to you know, have the needed depth um, to last the entire season to compete at an elite level. So, I, yeah, I, those, are, I think, are the two options for Clemson football going forward. And those are hard decisions because Dabo does not like uh, to, to change the way that things work when they're working so well. And, and I, can't, I can't fault him for that. You know, he has won two championships and uh, in some ways he can do whatever he wants. Um, Wind is blowing in a different direction, I think, than, you know, it's not moving more in favor of the Clemson direction. And one thing I wanted to ask you just about the, the recruiting takes thing, there is a recent rule announced, and I think it might be a temporary thing, but they're increasing the size of class that you're allowed to take, right? Like the maximum number of takes in a given class. I don't know if that's temporarily or permanently, um, but I think it's moving in the direction of like, you can only bring on, what is it like 25 guys maximum in a given class. And I think that number is growing. Am I well, completely so, making that up? No, no, no. They're going to raise it up to 30. And I'm not sure if that is a permanent move by the rules committee, but, yeah. but the deal with the 25 number is that you could always count back scholarships um, with early enrollees and, and play with those numbers. So you know, it was never a hard and fast rule that you have to stop at 25, right? I mean, we took a class of 29 easily. Um, and so with Clemson's really small classes in uh, previous years, you can count those players back um, towards other classes. So the, the idea that we could uh, not Sounds take like a more, surplus. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, no team is really like it. it the, that rule was put in place so that, you know, I think it was, uh, who was it? Houston Nutt or whatever his name is. Um, was taking, you know, like 30, 35 players, right? 40 players a year. And, and that was ridiculous. Um, and so they, you know, they tried to implement that rule, but, but they allowed a lot of flexibility. So um, it's not as hard and fast as like, oh, there's 25, you can only take. Yeah, or 85 scholarships. Like that's the limit that, <laughs> that matters. Um, yeah. Which, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the departures and the transfers out. Um, backfilling those guys with walk-on scholarships is also not the answer. And no, it's not. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I, I understand too, like Dabo was a walk-on, he got a scholarship, like it really was meaningful for him. And, um, and Hunter Renfro, for example, right. Was a guy who walked on and earned his scholarship. Um, and that is not a bad system to have where you have a few uh, glue guy kind of walk on, uh, you know, scholarships that you can hand out every year like i'm not totally opposed to that but it just gets ridiculous if you get past five right if if you get anywhere close to five, like two to three is the number that you should be um keeping in your back pocket for a few specialists and maybe for a walk-on or two every year but it should not be the norm and and when they keep compiling class after class it just becomes a bigger and bigger problem um for for future classes and so you know, I, I don't think that you should ever have a, a year where you're under 20 in the transfer era, um, just because the transfer portal era, sorry, just because yeah. the, you know that people are going to transfer out, even people that you've, you know, built up and cultivated, like Joseph Charleston, right before the season, who would have said that he was going to transfer? He started last year, most of last year, um, but it, but it, it's going to happen. And that's the reality of college football. And you can try to push back against that, but that's a losing battle unless they change the rules about the portal. And it does not look like there's any movement to do that because all of these other teams are just having a great time feasting at Clemson's expense. So 
that's where it becomes frustrating for me. Like I understand the mentality. You want to differentiate yourself. You want to be about culture. You want to be about family and not running players off. And if you bring them in here, they're, you know, they feel like they're a part of this and that they're going to, you know, I mean, and, and there's a lot of good that comes from that. I think there is a better locker room because of it, but at some point you, you have to at least entertain bringing in two to three players a year. Yeah. And, and, Durant. and Durant. And Durant. And I, last thing I'll, I'll say also, you look at the number of offers put out there and given, and I don't know that those numbers have necessarily risen. Um, and I'm also not asking Clemson to go to the Georgia level of offering 400 players, um, you know, in a, in a given entirety of a team. Um, but do you also think in addition to taking maybe that two to three to four extra guys and looking at the portal, um, you know, 20 plus size classes that also extending a few more offers, you know, should be part of the, the approach moving forward. Uh, that's a tough question for the coaching staff, I think, uh, moving forward, because up until now, they've been able to, like I was saying, like be a luxury brand, right? Like, all right, here, here's this, you know, Clemson offer and we don't offer very much. And it's like, you know, we had elevated carried meaning. Our, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's elite and we are an elite program and we only, you know, uh, try to, to get you if, if you're, you know, great. Um, so it, it, it's a big deal. Um, I, I don't hate that approach. I think that's a good approach, but there are times when I think we're a bit too stubborn. Um, and it, it's more that, uh, this whole like one in one out mentality, right? Like Dabo says, oh, we don't have, I, I, you know, I can't approve this scholarship unless there's a spot on the roster, right? And um, he's not gonna give a scholarship out until um, somebody says that they're leaving. And, and unfortunately, like in the portal era, that's a recipe for disaster if you do not plan for attrition. So well, I would like to see- Signing day is in December and February and the transfers do not cleanly line up with that. I'm sorry. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they, they don't at all, right? Um, so, so that's- Let alone where, when you like, have to offer guys to be able to sign them on those days. Like- yes. Yeah. So, you know, a perfect example would be like Ernest Green this year, right? Very interested in Clemson. Um, has the Bosco, you know, DJ connection, but Clemson, you know, comes in super late. And it's like, you sh if, if Dabo had kind of okayed, I think, uh, well, this is all hypothetical, right? But if there had been another uh, offensive lineman scholarship uh, that had been okayed at the beginning of the, the year, like, I think we would have been in a better position for someone like Green, who we were trying to attract, and now we're we're you know behind the the eight ball like we're we're struggling to try to fill that roster spot, and when you do that, sometimes you land you know an amazing player like uh, like uh, Lynn J Dixon right who very last minute we offered and, and brought over and and I think was a really you know good running back for us or there, there's a bunch of other examples of last minute offers Isaiah good. Simmons right Trayvon Mullen um, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Mullen was like a very last minute, a little bit different anyway um, situation there where we just kind of held off everybody else. But yeah, if, if you don't have a larger pool and I, I don't think they should go like have a huge pool, but like, you know, two or three more players that you're cultivating relationships with and hustling with a little bit harder um, in each I, position group, then you don't end up with like a Boateng, right? 
where you're, yeah. you're pulling in somebody that is just disastrous because Clemson cannot miss because we're so uh, limited in our numbers at every position. Like you cannot have that. Like, when you have that miss, I think it's it, much, much, yeah. much I think it goes back to something, a phrase you pointed out earlier, margin for error. And mm-hmm. this is a new era. It's a new paradigm, a new reality. Five to 10%, you likely need to put out five to 10% more offers because you may need to take more guys or wonkiness, you know, a guy that you may track really well with from a high school standpoint may be able to get started, you know, starting snaps somewhere because somebody else transferred out. And though our offer is attractive, he may, he may have a better position, you know, at, at Georgia or, you know, Oklahoma or whatever, or even a lesser school than Clemson. Um, I just think it, it really is about flexibility and kind of setting up for the future. And I think there are ways to do that that don't compromise your, you know, kind of the culture and, or your principles of how you do these things. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how that adapts. But let me, let me jump in and defend the coaches though. Right. Um, and, and try to push back against myself a little bit. Davos model has brought us to Sean Watson has brought us Trevor Lawrence, right. Um, has brought us elite quarterback talent by being super selective, brought us DJ um, at the same time. Right. We weren't able to land last year, a, uh, a quarterback in the way that Oklahoma stacked Rattler and Caleb Williams, right. Um, in back-to-back classes. And so, uh, you know, we have built this model of being like, all right, you are a guy. We're only going to go after you and, and that's it. Um, and like, we'll see what happens with Arch Manning um, or with, uh, with Manning's kid. And, and uh, I think we've slipped there. And so the model may not continue, but that's like the same kind of model, right? We're selling uh, that caliber of player. You can come in and be the person and be this like luxury brand uh, selective kind of uh, recruiting take that has worked for Dabo in the past. So I can't fault him for trying to continue something that brought two national titles. Right. Um, But again, like it's the transfer portal. That's the problem. Man, can't believe I'm quoting this guy, but Tucker Israel had a great tweet saying, you know, for a lot of situations, and I think he's talking a little bit about the urgency, I'd rather bring in a guy, you know, that's lifted weights in a college locker room and kind of, you know, gotten coaching from a college collegiate staff and kind of played in college games than a high schooler that you really have to mold and coach and develop over three years. And I think it's, that's not always true, right? Like there's, there's reasons a guy might be transferring you have to factor in and think about. Uh, but for me, for positions of need, for moments where you've got unexpected attrition that happens, yes, like expecting a true freshman to step in. And we've had that happen. We've even had it happen this year with Makuba, uh, with, you know, Barrett Carter's played some minutes and played some snaps and, you know, Marcus Tate, et cetera. Like it can be done. But to really expect that to always pan out and be part of the, the approach, um, I think leaves you lacking a little bit. And what role could a more established player kind of come in and potentially jaw right away? Um, I don't know. I, I like that as a compliment to getting your guys from the freshman class or from the high school class coming in. I think it could be a good combination. Yeah. I I mean, I don't disagree. Um, I, you know, I, I agree with Dabo that like you want to focus on the recruiting classes, right. You want to focus on continually bringing in, um, talent, but I, like, I, I think that, uh, Tucker's point really is that 
uh, we need to start moving away from, or if I were to expand on Tucker's point here, we really need to start moving away from this idea that transfer portal players are just like locker room cancers looking to jump from, you know, into a new situation and infect that, that new situation. Right. Like that, yeah, they're not that damaged may, goods. Right. Yeah. That, that may have been the case even like four years ago. Right. Or three years ago, maybe, but like that, that's not the situation now. Like good players are just looking for better situations and, and better ways to get into the NFL and in an era of NIL and an era of the portal, that is the reality of, of college football and coaches can push back against it and be like, eh, you, you know, this is just, uh, the, the me first kind of mentality, but it's not, it's the reality. And, and it's how college football is going to be structured moving forward. And it's how high school football is structured right now as well. And, and there isn't any change in sight um, for that. So it, you can, you push back against that at your own peril, but uh, there have been plenty of instances of really good players coming in and being, you know, really good uh, both players and, you know, personalities and um, citizens in the locker room where they, they went. Like, I think uh, Ches Malusi is a good example, right? Like he, he wasn't a locker room cancer. He's a good player. And uh, he went to Wisconsin and he's done well there. And, and, uh, and also like, we need to stop as Clemson fans, like with the whole, like, Oh, if they transfer, then they're not going to be good and somewhere else and da 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 Like that's, that's all nonsense now. Um, that may have been true a couple years ago, but it's not true now. Uh, transfer portal players are, are good players. They're the cream of the crop in a lot of instances, and they can help your team, and they will not necessarily be locker room, you know, problems. So, yes. Okay. <laughs> let's do a palate cleanser, or let's, let's, let's maybe inject a little positivity here. Um, and look, I think, we're, I think we're just trying to be, you know, as as clear-eyed as possible about the realities right now of the program. Um, I do want to talk about some of the silver linings of this season so far, QT, and get your, get your stance on, you know, some of the performances that you've seen or some of the guys that you're most excited about in the future. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking mostly of the defensive side of the ball. And you mentioned yes. some, of, yeah. some, some of the injuries that have happened. It's so funny, though, how, you know, you lose a, a Tyler Davis. We saw over the last two seasons, whenever he would go down, how much our run defense would take a step backwards and just, you know, couldn't really figure it out on the D line. Then we lose Brian Brzee one week later and have not missed a beat really up front. Um, you maybe can say we've missed a little bit of a beat, but by and large, like that is not being an exposed part of this defense and, you know, safety depth Landon Xanders is hurt. Joseph Charleston's now transferred out, but that also doesn't look to be, you know, constraining this defense at all in their performance so I, I just want to give you a chance to kind of heat praise on this defense and really talk about any of the highlights that you've seen at first half of the year I'm just going to pat myself on the back here uh to start off with congratulate myself on uh you know identifying Makuba as the uh, player to watch I, we all were talking about everybody else was talking about Carter at the beginning of the season with good reason he's a good player and he will be uh, a good player but um, I was saying, look out for that old Makuba. Uh, and he's, he's a star. got 300 star. snaps so far. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Like he's one of six or seven guys at 300. And it is apparent when he is not on the field, he's, you know, been great past deflections, um, coming up and run support. 
I, I really like this defense. I, I think I'm most sad about this season because I really like this defense. And I think that they played exceptionally well and almost like deserve more in a certain way, you know? So I think that's oh, yeah. maybe why I've been so in the doldrums. That's true. Uh, but, uh, let's say like, like I think Andrew Booth um, has played really, really well and he's going to be, you know, a top pick first day pick uh, probably in the NFL draft. He comes up and runs support so well. He's, he's been picked on a little bit, you know, out there on an Island. Um, it, it, the NC state game was not his best game, but you know, he's played really well and um, Goodrich when he's been healthy and in the game has played uh, exceptionally well as well uh, on the other side. Um, yeah. I'd agree with you that the, you know, you lose Brazil and you lose Tyler Davis and you think, wow, you know, what are we going to do? But um, Rook has looked good. Trey Williams has looked good. I mean, they still need to be a little bit more consistent, but they have shown, you know, those flashes of, of really being strong uh, players in the future and more than just role players. I think they have, you know, stark NFL uh, capabilities there. Xavier this Thomas, is, right? Th this I mean, is what we asked for. XT has been incredible, but just to talk about the tackles here, this is what depth does for you. When you have power five, elite power five level guys, three, four layers deep on your, on your team. Like that's been a good use of Clemson scholarships is to stack defensive linemen. And yes, we've had injuries, but we've been able to survive that. Hasn't really been the case at receiver and in the secondary and in, on the O-line certainly. So I think that's where we, we certainly could have used those 10 extra scholarships. Let's yeah, move and, off that though. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I mean, I'll just uh, make one quick point there. Uh, you have Peyton Page, right? He was he's playing uh against georgia i think he played a snap or two and he's played meaningful snaps um but we only brought in one defensive tackle last year and we're considering not bringing in a defensive tackle this year um I, that i think has changed um but you know maybe we should bring in not just one maybe two right just to keep this rolling here um and and to protect your depth protect your depth plan for the attrition that could possibly happen so yeah um linebacker skowski's been great uh, Simpson, I think has, uh, has played well. I'd like to see him take the, the next step and, and even, you know, be even more consistent. Um, Spectre, uh, has had some really great plays, really great moments. And, uh, it was really good to see Bentley kind of come in and, and here, here's a player who stuck around and has paid his dues and that's a great story. And, um, and has come in and played hard. Um, yeah, he's, he, he's kind of like a Dorian O'Daniel to me of just mm -hmm. doing just what you said like sticking it out, waiting for his turn, biding his time, taking the moments when they're there for him, when he gets, gets some burn. And yeah, it's been great. I also uh, liked what I've seen from say Jenis on the offensive side of the ball. I think the tackles have played really well if I'm trying to be positive here. I mean, Walker parks has had a few moments, but you know, generally McFadden and parks have played pretty well. Um, trying to think who else Mafa has been great stepping in as a true freshman who, you know, hadn't even played in those first games and, and showed that he can, you know, carry the ball uh, just as well, if not better than pace. Right. Um, you know, and pace has had his moments and, and we, uh, losing Will Shipley was a big loss that for sure. I think it was, I think from a developmental standpoint though, getting those snaps to Kobe Pace's development and now seeing what Moffa can do. That's, that's a good silver lining to having Shipley be out and 
I know he did go out. I don't know if having Shipley would have turned the tide of that NC State game, but it to this point has not cost us a loss yet. So, um, but I hear you. Shipley yeah. was he was the engine that moved this offense, you know, up until that point. So it'll be it will be good to get him back. I I would love to make sure that he's more at a hundred percent though. We're not just rushing him back yeah, to no, try and beat no Pittsburgh. Yeah, no, I don't think it's going to happen against Pittsburgh. It's going to be if we rush him back for Florida State. Um, uh, BT Potter has been awesome and, like, lights out. Um, and Spires uh, threw a great pass that was the most predictable <laughs> fake, uh, punt fake that ev- everyone should have known in the building was coming. Um, but it worked, and it was a great pass, uh, and we should do it again. Um, and, uh, but his punting has been kind of up and down. I've been a little, he was so good last year. It was like, wow, we, we figured yeah. out punting at Clemson. His averages are, are up and better, but he has reverted to rugby style a little bit. And yeah, I would say maybe up and down is the right way to put it, but yeah, like, I like that. I like the averages. Right. Right. Yeah. But he's got a few stinkers that were just like, ugh, 30 right. yard punts. Those are, those are mm-hmm. Bowden era punts. <laughs> uh, don't like that. Any yeah, other so positives? I, what other positives are there? I'm trying to. I mean, I'll say since Davis Allen has been put into the starting role, I would say his role in the offense has maybe been a little bit questionable. They've had him involved in the screen game quite a bit. And I just don't know that that's his, his specialty as much, but his volume's definitely gone up and it seems like he's been able to handle the task. So um, I'll give it up for Davis Allen. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, he's definitely a better blocking tight end than uh, some of our previous tight ends. But, um, yeah, I want to see more from Allen as well to just kind of put it all together uh, and, and be a bit more dominant. I, I, You know, it's hard for me, too, because I had as my number one tight end, and I still, you know, Brinning Stool is going to come along, right? And he could be a great player that, that proves me wrong. But I had Brock Bowers uh uga's mm. tight end as my number one guy and he was looking for you know a, a program in the south and was not set on georgia and um was looking at clemson so that's a little bit tough to swallow i mean but. they just have insane depth and he's taking that wow. job by the horns yeah it's not good but all right qt maybe let's let's pivot just to talk about the rest of the season and then we can maybe wrap with some recruiting nuggets so to speak about the 2022 class or maybe 23 um who do you think needs to be kind of the mvp of the offense the breakout player um the rest of the way uh, there's the obvious ones dj Uangalale, but um who really do you think could be a difference maker here to kind of get the offense back on track maybe outside of dj and then um on defense yes there's been some injuries and you know these these long grind them out type games, I think is going to take its toll. But, um, you know, if, if you, if you'd like to see anybody continue to, to rise up on the defensive side, like who would you like to see in the second half? Uh, I would like to see Tony Elliott step up and no, I shouldn't say that. Um, now I, I would like to see some, some sustained creative wrinkles that are put into our offense to help out, um, the scheme to out scheme, um, and help out our players a little bit more, like just add a little bit more creativity. And, you know, the pushback to that, I, you know, would be, well, 
but our, our team can't handle more creativity. Creativity is not the problem. Execution is the problem, but it's like, you can't execute if you know it's coming and you don't have the talent to out talent somebody else. So I, I, I want to see, you know, a few more of those like uh, early drive plays where we, you know, hand it off underneath to Ross or whatever, like those kind of wrinkles sustained throughout rather than being wrinkles being implemented into the offense. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that would help out a player like Ngata, right. Uh, against Pitt, it's going to be man-to-man coverage and they're going to challenge our wide receivers and they have got to get open over the top and you have to burn them for uh, explosive plays. So I want to see the ball aired out uh, more than it has. Trust the protection. If you have to max protect, then do that. Trust the protection and just go one-on-one down the field with you know your wide receivers and um, let's see that a little bit more challenge the, the defenses a little bit more. So I, you know, I want to see more, uh, Mafa and, and pace. I think that they've done a good job of running the ball. Um, I want to go to Ngata and I want to see the, uh, interior of the line settled, whatever combination we're going to go with, um, kind of like, yeah, just pick it and, and go with pick it. it and lock in. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be Trotter Tate, and if and Bockhorst or maybe you know Bockhorst and Putnam um but yeah I you know I'm uh I I think that 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 is uh that'll be decent for the rest of the year if we can get by Pitt that'll be fine right mm-hmm. um so and on defense oh hmm I, I still think that so Tyler Venables made a great Oh, I should, I, maybe I should hold my tongue here. No, uh, Tyler Venables made a great play uh, for the, the interception, but I do think that our dime packages could be a little bit more athletic. So, I, you know, I like seeing Barrett Carter get on the field and, and getting him broken in a little bit more would be helpful uh, for the defense. Um, I, I, the other player that I think has done a really good job that I didn't mention before is Jalen Phillips. Like I think he's actually played really well um, as at safety. And I'd like to see him continue to develop and, and step up just a little bit more um, and keep those, keep those corners healthy, uh, win more one-on-one matchups, especially against Pitt. That's going to be a, a big deal. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've been very, very happy with how the defense is played. Um, NC State kind of dinked and, and gashed us a little bit with, with some of their slot play on our line. And penalties, penalties hurt yeah, us. Penalties, yeah, those hurt us too. But overall, it's like you cannot fault this defense. No, there's not at much all. to pick apart. Yeah. Uh, what I'll say too, and I, Ben and I mentioned this before, like the coaching staff has gotten the team focused on penalties and turnovers, and that has improved the last couple of games. They've had we've had some, and they've been kind of in backbreaking moments, but the sheer volume of them has definitely gone down the last couple of games. So we'll give credit where due um, in that regard. Um, one player, QC, I wanted to ask you about just where you see his role in the team playing out thus far this year and maybe moving forward is actually Malcolm Green. I'm kind of wondering what your thoughts are on him. Yeah, I, I do not know what's going on. I, he started last year at the end of the year, and you know it seems like uh, Tyler Venables has kind of taken his position, um, and he's not been able to get on the field. And, and um, I'm not aware of like a disciplinary kind of reason for that or, a, or a, uh, injury reason for that. So, um, that is definitely something to watch. I, I thought that green would be a major part of the defensive, you know, scheme going forward. And maybe there's just something that, um, we haven't heard of 
you know, now or yet and, and we'll hear later. But yeah, Malcolm Green's disappearance from the defense is not not a good uh, you know, sign. And you know, the same thing, like we were I was like, where's Joseph Charleston? And uh, oh, he was in yeah. the portal, you yeah. know. So I no hopefully speculation that, there, of course. Hey, yeah, right. I, I don't yeah. and I hate to speculate on anything like that, but um yeah. The, the reason that you're seeing it right now, too, if, if people are wondering, is because you have the four-game, you know, uh, number that you can play in and then still um, transfer and maintain some eligibility. So, Yeah, you can do that without cashing out what this year would mean to you. A lot of these guys, since 2020 didn't count, um, they're kind of flush with eligibility years overall, and you do get the transfer one-time rule now in effect. So, uh, but yeah, I think... Uh, maintaining that year of eligibility is attractive for some guys. Like if you can offer a team three years or two years instead of just one year, um, maybe a coach will be more likely to take a shot on you to be a program builder wherever. Yeah. And I mean, it, it just gives you more chances too. Like if I, if it was my kid, I'd be like, yeah, if you're not going to play the rest of the year, then maintain your eligibility, right? Like you'd be a fool to play like a fifth game and then transfer after the season, right? Like that, that doesn't make any sense. So um, yeah, that's, is, yeah. do you think that's kind of behind the timing of a guy like Mikey Dukes? Um, if he's Definitely. only gotten in. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and last thing, Fred Davis, kind of an enigma this year. Haven't really heard of any disciplinary stuff. He's been a little banged up. And I mean, he was a guy QT, like when you came on the show and profiled him, you know, we were really excited about Booth coming in as well, but um yeah, Fred Davis, I don't know. He would be a guy that I'd love to see emerge as um, yet another kind of elite corner in this Clemson defense, but not really sure we yeah, will. You're, you're going to need um, that next wave of, uh, you know, corner talent. And, and I, I think we have a great cornerback uh, class, just a DB class in general that's coming in, maybe the best that we've had in, you know, in recent memory. Um to help bolster that, that position, but you, you're probably going to lose good, Goodrich. You're probably going to lose booth. Um, and you know, those are your starting two corners. Um, and yeah, I think Fred Davis's situation is just, you know, he's, he's, he's been injured. Um, mm -hmm. and I don't think it's disciplinary, uh, at all, but, um, yeah, yeah, he needs to, he needs to start growing and, and getting on the field. I, I appreciate that Sheridan Jones has kind of come in, and played played well um, because I don't think he's the most talented corner on the roster. I think Davis and, and others are more talented than him. But you know he's had to fill that spot and he's he's done an uh, admirable admirable job um, doing that and and really helped Clemson be in position to to win games. He hasn't been a liability like I think he was two years ago and and somewhat last year. Yeah, I think Clemson's corners are going to be tested this weekend against Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh. So I yes. um, hope you're right. I'm, I do trust in BV to figure out the scheme. And, um, you know, this would be the game where you really do want to see that that defensive line get after the quarterback and kind of, you know, set the tone and disrupt here. Because, uh, you know, Pickett's definitely got a cannon. So, uh, like you said, this is the game the rest of the way to pay attention to and um, that's going to be the biggest challenge for both the defense and I think our offense. Agreed. I'll be succinct for once. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, 
normally we'll kind of wrap the call and I do want to give you some time to talk about the forthcoming recruiting class. But now that we're still focused on 2021, usually we'd be talking about like, all right, you know, rubbing our hands together. Like who do we want in the college football playoff for, or like, who do we think will make it? Um, do you see chaos continuing to play out and we get some new blood in there? Or do you think it's just going to be Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Ohio state? Uh, I think there'll be some, some chaos. Yeah. Um, and there would have been more chaos if Oklahoma's backup quarterback and Ohio state's backup quarterbacks weren't performing at a high level. And, um, you know, uh, you, I, again, I don't think, I think it's ridiculous to think about DJ being benched or anything, but it does, you know, it's a, it's, it's a comparison there where you don't have the kind of depth at quarterback that other elite programs have. Um, and I was never like, I was the guy that was like Rattler. I don't think he's that, you know? So, um, yeah. so I, like, I think there's a little bit less chance of as much chaos right now as there was a couple weeks ago. Um but that, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be an easy road um, for, for some of these programs. I would watch out for a team like Cincinnati who seemed to, you know, just be rolling along and depending upon how the college football playoff committee views them and their strength of, you know, whatever metrics they're using. Um, I, I think they could position themselves to be knocking on the door and who else? Um, Oregon has been, you know, Oregon can lose for sure. But they, you know, beat Ohio State, so they have the best kind of like resume win right now. Um, Georgia, of course, is going to be in there. It looks like the SEC will probably get two teams, um, and it'll be Georgia and Bama, maybe. But now that Bama has one loss, if they lose to Georgia, then they're they're going to be, I think, on the outside looking in. I mean, they would be like a two-loss team, right? And you'd be like, oh, Clemson could do it. No, uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, Not over Bama, we won't. <laughs> the big 12 is like the best conference. Right. Um, but you know, they're going to start like Oklahoma state has been a good story. They Oklahoma state and Oklahoma play each other and then they might have to play again, I think. Um, so, and I'm not sold on those other uh, big 10 teams either. So I, you know, like Michigan, Michigan state, I think are still un, untested. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they have a chance to kind of sneak in. But, yeah, I think there'll, there'll be more chaos. Like, I, I, I genuinely think this is the year that, um, that if a two-team, a two-loss team was going to get in, it would be this year, which is why it makes it all the more frustrating that I, I think with one loss, Clemson would have been fine for getting into the college football playoff. So losing the NC State is doubly. Uh, yeah, I think we would – I agree with that. Like, I think beating NC State and then by – by like November, if Clemson's offense starts to click, then I think it's like, all right, early season woes, you know, I, the media yeah, tends sure. to manufacture its own kind of narratives for why a team is, is worthy or early season things don't matter now. So um, I think Clemson would also have gotten just benefit of the doubt from past seasons, you know, credibility. Um, so yeah, NC state loss definitely sucks. Yes. And we needed more laptops. <laughs> it's true. Problem. And towels. Towels. Bradley Chubb throwback. Um, and, and NC State and Dave D. Ugh. Yeah. Not a good team to lose to. Um, but let's not lose to Florida State and South Carolina. Like, uh, Outlook, you were talking about Outlook for the season. Let's just not lose those two. Okay? Everything else, uh, we lose to Pitt. Okay, but don't lose those 
win the rest of the games, especially win Florida State game and especially win the South Carolina game. We cannot lose those or else everything is just going to yeah implode. It's going to uh, spiral. Like you don't want to give Beamer any type of any type of mojo or gas to work with. And same, you, same definitely you, goes for Norbell. Can you imagine the uh, the after game like press conference that Beamer would give if he beat Clemson? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to imagine it. Uh, the, well, I mean, I'm just saying like that would be oh, yeah. like a no, yeah. moment. <laughs> <laughs> he would be like sobbing and like, I don't even know. I'll yeah. stop. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Mm-mm. No, sir. Okay, 2022 class. So highlights for the lay fan that is not not paid too close of attention. Are we thinking what really are, who are the first of all the big names? I think Kate Klubnik is is the one that most Clemson fans are going to be familiar with, but um maybe got we'll try to we don't need to go through the whole classes of commits or potential commits, but um maybe like top two household names that people don't know yet and you know positions of need that you hope turn into offers what do you think sure yeah yeah um positions of need that i i hope turn into offers i hope we land another wide receiver soon um with andre green that's who we're targeting and we're battling with uh unc um to land him and then i hope we turn around and offer antonio williams so I, i i hope there's two more wide receiver offers one more offensive lineman offer and at least one more defensive lineman offer uh, one D tackle and one defensive end would be um, my preference. And that would, you know, bump the class up to only uh, what would it be at 18, I think. And I think that this class should get to 20, especially with all the, um, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And then the, you'd have a running back take as well. Um, that would get it up to 19, but I think that it should get up to 20. So then just take the best player available, right. That you can find in the country. Um, and maybe that's, uh, you know, another tight end or another running back or um, another backup kind of, well, yeah, uh, uh, we have a really good uh, DB class. So, okay. So, so you asked, those were the takes that I would want. Um, yep. You asked who, who should I know from this class? This is a great defensive back class. We've got somebody from Malden, uh, South Carolina, uh, Malden, uh, in Jaden Lucas, and uh, and he is a uh, you know a five star talent, um, and he should be able to step in and help us with uh, cornerback depth that we'll need next year. Um, Dalen Everett is a really good player um, as well, and then you know you've got some uh, Toriano Pride. You've got some other DBs that could be kind of either corners or uh, safeties that I think will be really good. Sherrod Coville is a, uh, is really long and athletic. Um, and, and he will be like a, a free safety. I think uh, ultimately Keon Saab is a, a somebody at uh, IMG um, and Campbell, the, the defensive end recruit that we have uh, is also from, from IMG. So those are the defensive names um, that I think, you know, everybody should know. And the two offensive linemen that we have committed right now are, uh, are good. Like Colin Sadler is from Greenville. Um, and I think Blake Miller actually is underrated by recruiting services. And he's looked, um, he's developed in this last year, even better. So I, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with those two takes, but again, like with depth, it's like, we, we need another good, 
like why not keep stacking talent right um and and building that that depth at that position um yeah, so those like, are the guys cons- yeah conspicuously right. absent on the d-line like you mentioned outside of um campbell's Campbell. the only exactly and then uh, again o-line it's just like this year should be a lesson to we just need need depth even if you think you're good you're not sort of thing in terms of takes um yeah and we've struck out on our you know major uh defensive tackle targets and defensive end targets for that matter too so not been a great year um for that but you know there's still a lot of time to to target some other folks and um you know spots will start to fill up but you know it's kind of filtering down rather than clemson taking who they want right which has been the case in the past few classes now uh georgia and alabama are kind of flexing their muscles and taking who they want um and we're getting kind of the next tier of of talent so that's not great right um and you mentioned sort of receivers on your wish list a bit I know that this last class 2021 was a big take uh, in terms of running back talent uh, with Shipley and with Mafa. Um, anyone else kind of on the horizon there that you think um, I, I think just losing DeMarcus Bowman to the transfer portal a year ago um, that, that hurt quite a bit. And I'm just curious if we're, I know Shipley's like that guy, that five-star guy, uh, but just in terms of, you know, thinking about for the future planning, will it be this year or you think 2023 for, for running back well i mean we're the duke's transfer today shows just like how like we'd like to have five running backs right um on scholarship and wrencher will be gone and then like i i haven't even seen him on the field this season very much i mean obviously there haven't been that many games sure. um where but um yeah so we'll have mafa mafa uh sorry <laughs> uh next season we'll have shipley and we'll have pace and we're trying to land Trevor Etienne. Uh, that's the main target um, for this year. And, uh, I, you know, we haven't offered anybody else um, at running back. It's kind of Etienne or, or bust uh, to this point. But, I, I, you know, maybe we'll revisit that decision and try to um, expand the board, especially if we, if we miss on Etienne, we'll have to expand the board. Was he, is he an LSU lean? And now that might be thrown into question with Orgeron's departure, or was he is he on the radar of like Fuller, Florida, Georgia, Bama? Yeah, it definitely. I, I don't think it's LSU that he's, he's um, really considering. And actually the, the uh, Ed O departure might crack that door open uh, a bit more than it would have been before. But yeah, I, I think um, Florida and there's a few other schools that are kind of uh, trying to, to attract him, but um, I think Clemson's in a good position there. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, thanks for, thanks for the recap here. Obviously December will be here before we know it. So uh, we'll stay, stay tuned for your updates and you're going to be keeping everybody apprised over at shaking the Southland. Um, hear you loud and clear on kind of picking your battles with doing the recaps, but you're working on any pieces over there. Maybe do like a pit recap uh, coming off the buy. <laughs> no, I, I will. I like I, every single week I just stare at the screen and I'm like, boy, this is going to be a really depressing article if I write it. So I've kind of just been like, you know, not wanting, like, I don't want to bash this coaching coaching staff. And I don't want to like, I, like a lot of people, I think feel like, like me in particular at SDS, like I, 
like I take joy in like Dabo, you know, not winning or something like that. It's like, no, I'm in so invested in this, this, uh, in this, uh, program, but in, in these specific players. Right. And I'm so invested in, uh, wanting, um, them all to succeed. So, you know, losing to NC State's like, yes, it's, I'm, I have been so depressed, <laughs> uh, in the doldrums. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I don't need to give you my, but yeah, I've just been staring at the screen. Like, what am I going to write? That's going to be positive spin here. That isn't going to be just like perceived as total bashing of the program. So, um, yeah, I, I will, I will write something this week or next week. Yeah. Cool. Yes. We look forward to it. Uh, always love having you on, man. Thank you so much. Um, everyone, you can find quacking tiger. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, thanks for, uh, letting me rant. I didn't mean to rant, but I did. So there you go. It's cool. We love it. Um, everyone, you can find Quacking Tiger's work at shakingthesouthland.com. STS for short. He's also on Twitter at Quacking Tiger. So check him out. He's a must follow uh, during games, during the week, pregame, postgame, all that. So uh, thanks again, Quacking Tiger. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Second show of the week, Pit big game coming up this weekend. We'll be back to recap it. And, you know, continue to take a look at what remains for this Clemson team this season. Uh, but a lot to look forward to. You know, let's all remember how we were feeling in the offseason, how boring that was. Um, let's remember every, probably everyone listening to this show lamented how boring the ACC schedule was getting. So we have a different kind of season now. You asked for it. Now we got to deal with it. So um, let's enjoy it while, while it remains, while it lasts. There. There's a lot of bright spots on this Clemson team. I think we covered that in this show and uh, let's appreciate it. We're still in this era of, of success, even though right now at four and two may not feel that way, but um, this could easily be a 10 and two, 11 and two team going into bowl season. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, thank you again, QT. Thanks to our listeners. And as always go Tigers. <laughs>